If I could tell the world just one thing, it would be we're all okay. And not to worry, cause worry is wasteful and useless in times like these. I won't be made useless. I won't be idle with despair. I will gather myself round my faith for the light the darkness most fear. My hands are small, I know, but they're not yours, they are my own. No, they're not yours, they are my own, and I am never broken. Poverty stole your golden shoes. I didn't steal your laughter. And heartache came to visit me, and I knew it wasn't ever after. We'll fight, but not out of spite, for someone must stand up for what is right. Cause where there's a man who has no voice, there are shall go singing. Just to sing in Sunday school, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Let me welcome you to this program tonight. Our subject is the Bible. My name is Hal Brady, and I'm pleased you've joined us. As always, my prayer is that the Word and the music will be a blessing to your heart. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's Word? It comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3 beginning at verse 12. Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But wicked people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God, and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me now, please, for a word of prayer? O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. 
Amen. In a day when street preachers were plentiful on the streets of New York City, a man by the name of Charlie King stood on one of the street corners near Times Square. What was he doing? He was racing around his hat, and he was shouting, It's alive! It's alive! And as soon as the crowd would gather, he would lift his hat, and underneath was the Bible, and then he would proclaim the Word of God. It's alive! It's alive! We're talking about the Bible. A man by the name of Leon Wallace decided to write a book to refute the Bible. And so he went to the Middle East and to Southern Europe. While writing that book and reading about the Bible and reading the Bible itself, he was convicted and he was gloriously saved. Before he could finish his work, the focus had changed. The result of that focus was being to her. It's alive, it's alive. We're talking about the Bible. In our text, Paul contrasts two images. The first image is that of evil persons and impostors who go from bad to worse. The second image is that of Timothy, who continues to grow in the faith he once received. I want you to listen again to a part of this scripture. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. When Paul says that all scripture is inspired by God, he's actually saying that scripture is God-breathed. That means it's more than a book. It's God's book. As a matter of fact, it's a book composed of 66 books collected from the Hebrew writings and early Christian authors over a period of the centuries. We use the word inspiration, or God breathed, to tell us that this word has been influenced by God. Divinely inspired persons felt led by the Spirit to write down their experiences of God. These persons were used by God to share the salvation story of the Bible. Thus, the Bible is the product of a divine human encounter that resulted in the gift of God for the people of God. Let's be clear. There is no higher authority than the Bible, except that the Bible, as the written word of God, must be interpreted through Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, the living word of God. The Bible contains all we need for salvation. The Bible contains all we need for growth and discipleship. The Bible contains all we need for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The Bible has all we need to be equipped to serve God. So let's think about the Bible for a few minutes. Let's reflect on what it means for you and for me. First of all, we begin with what the Bible is not. We begin with what the Bible is not. The great theologian Karl Barth once said, The Bible becomes the word of God for us when we get, not when we get hold of it, but when it gets hold of us. If the Bible is to get hold of us, we need to understand what the Bible is not. The Bible is not some far-flung mystery. Now, I know there are difficult passages in the Bible, no question about that. But when I think of these difficult passages, I remember Mark Twain, something he said. Somebody said to Mark Twain, I don't read the Bible because it's too difficult to understand. Mark Twain replied, well, I don't think so much about the Bible because it's too difficult to understand. What bothers me is what I do understand. 
what I do understand. The Bible tells us what God is doing for us, what God promises to us, and what God expects from us. The Bible tells us how to live and how to die, how to suffer and how to succeed, how to get along with other people. The Bible tells us about God's revelation in Jesus Christ. It tells us all of these things. Now, these are important things, but we don't have to know the truth of all of these things to understand the truth of the Word of God. An author named Edwin Blair, in his book, The Bible and You, points out this. The person who's looking for a way to master the Bible in three easy lessons will be disappointed. In the first place, one can never master the Bible. The Bible masters us. In the second place, the Bible is immeasurably rich, so rich that the humankind cannot possibly embrace all of it in any attempt. And then he says, familiarity with the Bible comes only by long exposure to its contents. What he's saying is by a life of living with the Bible and studying it all the time. And then the Bible is not a fetish. A fetish is something that people believe has a magical power within itself, such as in a court of law. Someone is asked a man or woman to place his or her hand on the Bible and to swear to tell the truth. The idea is that by placing a hand on the Bible, it's going to make this person more honest. But that is seriously doubtful. The Bible is conceived by many as a glorious rabbit's foot. As a matter of fact, there was a ruler in Ethiopia between 1889 and 1913 that believed the Bible was a fetish. He believed the Bible had magical passages. Well, what did he do? He simply started eating pages of the Bible. Every day he ate two pages of the Bible. He did well till he got to the coloring. There was poison in the coloring. Consequently, he died. And then the Bible is not a grab bag. It's not a grab bag. I had a friend who's a professor in Dallas, Texas at the Perkins School of Theology, Dr. John Holbert, who's a professor of Old Testament and homiletics. He said when preachers preach, preachers need to preach in the context of the whole of Scripture and not some isolated passage. It has been reported that the Bible can be proved and prove anything. That is, if it's taken out of context, and that is true. If it's taken out of context, it can, in fact, prove anything. Thus, John Wesley was convinced that even though the Bible was different in many aspects, nevertheless, it had a unified whole about it a unified whole. The God of the Hebrews was also the God of Jesus Christ. The grace in Christ was the grace in Abraham and Hosea and other of those prophets. In other words, the individual passages of Scripture must be interpreted in the light of the whole of Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. That's what we must remember. And then the Bible is not dull. Now, many of our younger friends in the generation between 18 and 29 these people think church is boring and dull. I sincerely hope it's not boring and dull, but I'm sure that the Bible is not dull. Let's think of, for instance, some of these things. Here's Abraham in an unknown wilderness. Here is Noah and the ark, Moses standing before a burning bush, Daniel in the lion's den, Esther before the king, David fighting Goliath. Then we have Peter denying himself, Paul in prison, Jesus dying and being raised from the dead, the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost and stirring the pot. A book like the Bible is anything but dull. 
This book right here has caused nations, nations to come off their hinges. This book right here is the bestseller of all time. It's the bestseller of all time. We had one of the great professors of all time. He was a professor. His name was Harold Beck. He was at Boston School of Theology. He said the biggest mistake we ever made was when we put a back cover on the Bible, thus kind of implying that the work is finished, that God has said what he's going to say, and that God is somewhere else. The biggest mistake we ever made was putting a back cover on the Bible. So we ourselves need to reckon with that. The Bible is not dull. And then secondly, we continue with what the Bible is. Billy Graham's wife, the late Ruth Graham, decided she was going to make a zip line for her grandchildren. So she went and got this wire, secured it between these two trees, set it at an angle, and she was going to test it out. So she grabbed hold of a handle and she started down the zip line. The line broke and she plummeted 15 feet below. Many of her bones were broken. Her vertebrae was broken. She had a concussion, a serious concussion that kept her confined for a week unconscious. When she started coming back to conscious, she realized that some of her memory was gone. And all those Bible verses that she had memorized as a child, they were gone. These wonderful verses that had sustained her life and guided her, they were gone. She couldn't remember them. And she said that was the worst part of it, the most devastating of all. I had lived by the Bible and couldn't remember the verses. Billy Graham said that later, Thank goodness her memory restored and many of those verses came back. Now let me ask you something. Why? Why was the Bible so important to Ruth Graham? Why should the Bible be important to us? Because the Bible is the revelation and encounter we have with God. The Bible is the revelation and encounter we have with God. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah, these were books about the people coming out of exile, these Hebrew people. It is said that they discovered as they were rebuilding the walls a Torah scroll. This was the book of the law, a Torah scroll. Now, they had lost the guidance of God in exile, but then they gathered and reread this book as if for the first time. They mourned because they had lost it, and then they mourned for joy because they had found it again. You see, the Bible for them was home. And then John Wesley John Wesley believed that the Bible was the authoritative word of God. All through the 18th century in the issues and concerns of the 18th century, he stayed fully grounded in the Bible because, you see, he encountered God in the Bible. And so he said in the preface to the standards of his sermons, just give me this book. Give me this book no matter what happens at any price. It's enough for me. Now, beloved, in my ministry, I've conducted hundreds of funerals. I'll tell you, I've seen people so sad and so full of grief that they could not even speak. And all the wisdom of Billy Graham, Max Lucado, Rick Warren, Joel Osteen together could not comfort them. But it was amazing to me how some words that came out of a book 3,000 years old could comfort them and sustain them. You know the words I'm talking about. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. It's amazing how those words could bring comfort and relieve somebody's pain in their hearts. 
You see, God encounters us in the 23rd Psalm, and God encounters us in all Scripture as well. I tell you, if we didn't have the Bible, we would know nothing about Jesus Christ, and yet the Bible consistently testifies to Jesus Christ throughout its covers. There was a young person that was saved from a life of drugs by the ministry of Reverend David Wilkerson. This young person said that it was if Jesus got up from the pages of Scripture and walked over to me and helped me with my problems, and helped me with my problems. The Bible is our encounter with God and the revelation of God to us. And then the Bible is not a signpost so much as it is a collision. There was a young man who had become very tired in his life. He was always exhausted. He went to his doctor and he said, what is the best thing I can do? The doctor knew something about his lifestyle. He said, well, the best thing you can do is go home after work, eat a nutritious meal, go to bed, and stop running around and carousing everywhere. The man looked at him and said, well, what's the next best thing I can do? That's the way we do with the Scripture, isn't it? We like the Scripture because it reveals to us salvation, but we don't want to read the Scripture when it becomes a collision in our lives. We just don't want to read it that way. Bishop Will Willimon said that when we read the Scripture, both privately and in worship, we are confronted with our own preconceptions and our own limited self-concern. Jesus came and he said, Blessed are you poor. Blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you who are persecuted. Blessed are the meek. And we say, what do you mean? What are you talking about? That's unfortunate. That's not blessing and that's not being blessed. The poor have no say. The meek are losers. But then he says to us, let me explain. I'm not talking about the American way of life. I'm talking about the Christian way of life. So how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they hear without a biblical preacher? A biblical preacher. And then the Bible is the blueprint for our lives. It's the blueprint for faithful living. Whenever we read the Bible, we are basically being confronted with two questions. Am I ready to meet God? And am I willing to obey God? Listen again to these words, please. But as for you, continuing what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. What does it say here? It gives us essentially how we are to live our lives. First of all, it says teaching. The Bible is to teach us doctrine. That's what God wants us to know. A husband and wife lost a 12-year-old boy to a traffic accident. It was a horrible experience for them. But then they went to church and they heard the great hymns of faith. They heard the affirmation of faith from the Apostles' Creed. The choir sang the 23rd Psalm, the anthem. They heard the litany of prayer. But then this woman, the mother, said later, she said, you know, I didn't have enough strength to sing. I was too hurt to sing. And I didn't have enough confidence to repeat the Apostles' Creed. But when I didn't have the confidence and when I was hurt, the church did it for me. She said, when I thought life was over, the church gave me the foundation again, a foundation that made our lives worth living. And then the second thing is reproof. Reproof. The Bible 
gives us reproof. These are the things God wants us to quit doing. Somebody comes to me and asks for forgiveness, and I refuse to give them forgiveness. And in the Bible, I'm led to believe that I'm like the elder brother, hard-hearted and unforgiving. There was an African-American woman that was asked, do you enjoy reading the Bible? She said, I'm not reading this book. This book is reading me. And then the Bible has to do with correction. Correction is what God wants us to change, what God wants us to change. Sooner or later, when we read the Bible, we're going to come to this phrase, if anyone be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. And then the, the other thing is training in righteousness. Everything in this book will tell us how we are to live according to God's will. That's what the Bible is. It's a depository of the teachings of God's will. The late Bill Henson, when he was pastor of First Methodist Church, Houston, Texas, said one day he was called to come home. His wife wanted him to come. And when he got home, he found her in the middle of the floor. She was surrounded by all kinds of letters. She had been up in the attic and was looking for Christmas decorations and had found this old box of letters, the love letters that she had written to him when he was in school. As a matter of fact, the year before, she had been in one college and he had been in another. And they had written each other every day, sometimes twice a day. So she was in the process of reading these letters. Bill Henson said he joined her on the floor. They reenacted what happened 34 years before when they were married. They read the letters, they laughed, they cried. And then when they started to go into the kitchen for the meal, Bill Henson said, this wasn't the second time I've read those letters, nor even the third time. He said, whenever I would receive one of those letters, he said, I would always open it immediately in the post office. And then he said, I would read it again on the way home. And he said, when I got into my dormitory room, I would close the door and reread every line. And he said, I would read it again before I put it into the box. That's not surprising, is it? When somebody loves us and we love somebody, somebody loves us and they send us letters, they want us to read those letters over and over and over again. And that's the way it is with God. God has given us love letters in the scriptures. And he wants us to read these letters over and over and over again. And so I remember the words of the hymn, Take time to be holy. Speak off with thy Lord. Abide in him always and feed on his word. It's alive. It's alive. We're talking about the Bible let us pray. Oh God, we're so thankful for the Word of God. We're grateful you have given us that Word and you have trusted us to keep it and to read it and to use it and to allow it to use us. We pray, oh God, that you'd help us to be consistent in our reading, that you'd help us to learn when we come to your Word so that we can live the lives you call us to live. Thank you again for this time together and for the Holy Word of God. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you so very much for joining us tonight. I trust that you have appreciated the message and will continue to join us. Have a good evening. All of you is more than enough for all of me, for every thirst and every need. You satisfy me with your love and all i have in you is more than enough
supply my breath of life still more awesome than i know you are my reward worth living for still more awesome than i know and all of you is more than enough for all of me for every thirst and every need you satisfy me with your love and all i have in you is more than enough you're my sacrifice of greatest price still more awesome than i know you're my coming king you're more awesome than I know and all of you 